Welcome to Front Porch Theology. I am your host, Jeremy. In fact, I'm the only one here today because I have been abandoned. So here I am on a Monday. Baker's gone. Uh, Heather's gone. Will's gone. They've all left me. Um, so it is just I. And today we're going to be talking about, uh, I say we, I mean that in the singular sense, <laughs> me and my many personalities, are going to be talking about uh, emotions. Um, because oftentimes there's a big confusion uh, about emotions, especially within like Christian communities, right? Within the Christian bubble, Christendom, and how we have come to think about emotions and how we deal with them. Uh, oftentimes in counseling, I think what I hear most often is I have I feel guilty because I have this 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 emotion. I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't be anxious or whatever it might be. And listen, I, I get it. I've been there, but it's not. Um, I think this often time comes from a misunderstanding of, of emotions, why we have them. And uh, we kind of put things in the columns, right? We have the good emotions and we have the bad emotions. So I want you to do me to do something for me. Maybe you're driving or whatnot, but I want you to so you don't have to write this down, but think of it at least. What are some good emotions? Right now, you might be thinking, okay, well, okay, good emotion, love, love is a good emotion, right? Happiness, joy, things of that nature, right? It's it's very easy. But when I say, what's a bad emotion? What we have, anger, like, but anxiety. That's usually another one that's that's listed. Now, I think it's fascinating, right, that we have these sets. And I think what happens is when we as Christians feel those negative, what we classify as negative emotions, right, we feel this guilt and we feel this shame. Uh, why am I feeling this? I'm supposed to be happy all the time, I'm supposed to be joyful, yet yet I'm sad, yet I'm anxious, yet I'm angry. So so I want to deal a little bit with those manifestations, or excuse me, those, those false constructs, right, that, that we should um, that we should feel a particular way. Um, and again, I think some of it, it I mean, it's, listen, I'll be honest with you, it's not biblical. It's not biblical at all, right? Jesus is is is, is called a, a man of many sorrows, right? When you read, when you read the prophets, um, when you read about them, when you read about Christ, when you read even about Paul, uh, I don't get the idea that these are men who are um, just happy all the time. In fact, someone I was talking to in counseling recently called it the uh, an Insta- Instagram Christian, um, right? Where everything is amazing. They feel blessed all of the time, and they just man, life is good. And if you if you're angry, it's because you're ungrateful. If you're anxious, it's because you're not you don't have enough faith. If you are uh, sad, it's because well you forgot the many blessings that are on you. And though some of those things may be true, they're not always true, right? And, and so I think we, we have created this atmosphere where emotions that you ought to have, we find them uh, bad or sinful, and we feel guilty for having them. And then, of course, you know, there's, I, I mean, I, I could go on and on about some of the, the unhealthy coping mechanisms that come from uh, come from this, right? And and I, I used to have them, right? I, I struggled with anger for a long, long time. In fact, a lot of people didn't even know it. Uh, my wife didn't even know it, that I was struggling with anger, but I was coping with it in a very unhealthy and different way. 
and until I dealt with, hey, you have a right to be angry. And so maybe we'll stop there. Let's go. Let's deal with, let's deal with this idea of negative and positive emotions. So here's the, here's the deal. You were made in the image, in the likeness of God. Now, what does that mean? Part of what that means is, right, you can, you know, things like, hey, you can see, not quite the way God sees, but you can see, right? You can hear, not quite the way God hears, but you can, you can create, not to the extent that God can create, but guess what? You can create. You have, you have a, uh, a moral compass. Now, ours is broken um, in, many, in many ways, especially in our lostness, right? It's completely deformed and broken. Uh, we have no access to a good moral compass in that sense. Um, but, but you also have emotions. You can emote. So, for example, God is loving. In fact, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 says the greatest gift of all Christians is love. And uh, I, I want we'll come back to what that actually means because I think that's also, it's an emotion that our culture and community loves to say, be loving, be loving. But, but that isn't, uh, the, I think they're dividing love in a very perverse way. Now, what is it? So, okay, let's, let's go back. God is loving, so we can be loving. Is God ever described as angry? Yes. Yes, God is angry. So how is it then you are called to, to not be angry? I mean, that's, that, that, that's a silly expectation of the Christian life. You ought to be angry. I, in fact, okay, so when I was, uh, my, I used to wake my, mor- my wife up with uh, some morning coffee. I'd bring it beside her. And I would open up the Psalms, and I would read her a, a Psalm in the morning to wake her up. I wanted her to wake up to the to the, to the aroma of Pete's coffee. By the way, this is brought to you by Pete's coffee, and to uh, to the God's word, right? So I, this didn't last long because it got weird. As we were going, as we got to week twelve of me doing this, um, I remember I opened up Psalm twelve. Right, and, and I had set the tone right. Oh man, I was being a good, godly husband. And this is this is I want I want to read to you uh, what she was woken up to. Now, I'm, I'm mind you, right? I'm trying to be again a, a godly husband and trying to start her day off well. And this is what she hears: "Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished." From among the children of men, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. Good morning, sweetheart. With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. Now, here's where it gets interesting. May the Lord cut off all their flattering lips. May the Lord cut off the tongue that makes great boasts. Right? This is what I'm waking my my wife up to. And this is David writing the psalm. And he's like, God, bring about judgment. Cut off their lips and cut off their tongues, these people who utter flattering statements uh, just to get ahead, to get something. Right? Listen. Now, now listen, listen. In that statement, you see two things. One... David is ticked. He is angry. And he's angry for right reasons. He's angry for right reasons. Why? Because the others, whoever these other people are in Israel, are being nice. But guess what? Their motive is wrong. And I think that's a huge part of it, right? You see two emotions. One of them, oftentimes, we deem as bad the anger. But the motive of David's anger is good, and the motive of the flattering lips is, is, is wrong. And so I think these are two, 
and I'll get to the positive ones, but anger is something. Listen, God is angry at sin, thus you should be angry at sin. If I told you that my daughter was hurt by somebody, I said, well, I'm not angry about it because that would be sinful. You'd be like, what's wrong with you? You're a horrible father, right? Someone was mean to your daughter and unjustifiably, and you're not angry about that? You're not angry about injustice? We should all be angry about injustice. Anger and injustice is a righteous thing. Anger at, at someone else being hurt or someone else having dark, evil motives hurting people, we should be angry at that. Why? Because God is angry at that. So the, the idea, right, that we have to be the lovey-dovey, meek and mild, polite Christians that are always with a smile, like, that's nonsense. It's just so, it's, it, okay, not only is it stupid, but, but here's the other thing. It creates false expectations that nobody can possibly follow, no godly person can actually follow. If you are seeking to be holy, you will be angry. There is such thing as a holy anger. Now, I could spend a whole time, and maybe I will in the future if anyone's interested in hearing it. I, there is a such thing of, of being uh, a holy angry and, and a non-holy anger. And, and there is, we need to be able to discern the difference. I don't know. Maybe now's a good time. It's just me. What, 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 am, I, what am I worried about? I'm not sharing the mic with anyone. All right, so let, let's take anger. What, like When you look at what anger is, Right, it it there is a feeling of injustice, right? That's why I'm angry. Something has has been done to me that should not have been done. Right? I'm angry, so the Lord is angry because his creation ought to follow his law and we deny him what is his, that is our life. And so, right, his law is broken. He's justifiably angry at that. We sin against him, he's justifiably angry at that. So sometimes I think what we need to be able to discern, am I angry with, with the wrong, uh, for unjustifiable reasons? So I've, I've, again, I've done counseling where people have said, man, my, I was, you know, my parents were abusive. And I feel guilty because I'm angry with them. I'm like, okay, well, you should be angry that they abused you. And sometimes people are taken aback by that. Wait a minute, I thought, I, I thought I'm supposed to be forgiving. I'm like, well, yeah, okay, you, 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 are, you ought to offer forgiveness, but let, let me, okay, I'm going to say something maybe that some of you are going to disagree with when it comes to anger, because I think this is one of the most misunderstood emotions, why I'm spending so much time on it. When it comes to, uh, okay, does, okay, I want you to answer this out loud in your car. Does Jesus forgive everyone? Now, maybe you answer a little fast. I'm going to ask, ask, ask again. Does Jesus forgive everyone? Now, many of you probably went, well, yeah, of course he does. Well, then I would ask you, what's the purpose of hell? If he forgave everyone, why is there hell? The reality is he does not forgive everyone. He forgives those who what? Who have faith in him and who repent. Right? We're saved by grace through faith. Those who are not under grace... And who do not have faith, they are not saved. What do they receive? The wrath and anger of God. So God does not forgive everyone. The wrath that's poured out to those who are not under grace 
is because of their sins and transgressions. So, let me start again. Does God forgive everyone? No. He does not. Are you required to forgive everyone? You're required, according to Scripture, I think to offer forgiveness 70 times 7, whatever the, whatever the number is, and unlimited times. But here's the deal. Forgive, now, this isn't to say that forgiveness can't happen. Uh, you know, if, if my wife you know, does something minor to me, it's small transgression or vice versa. You know, I forget to take out the trash all the time. Um, or I put it on the back deck thinking, I'll get it later. Then a cat gets into it and spreads it all over, right? My wife, listen, like there can be, there can be forgiveness on, uh, you know, there are small, you know, interactions, transactions of things where you can, you can, you can forgive. But when it comes to, um, forgiveness, it's extremely difficult if there isn't repentance, so, for example, if if my uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good scenario. If if I let's take well, I'll take the trash. If I keep doing the trash thing over and over and over and over and over again, and my wife gets mad at me, and I say, I don't care, I'll do it. I I have I have no apologies. I know what you've asked. I know what I've promised, and I've broken that promise. And I don't care. I'm gonna leave it on the back. It is very difficult for my wife to forgive me if I'm not repentant of the behavior. Right? If I say, okay, I'm, I'm going to, let's, let's pretend it's, let's take it, let's take it a, a degree up. Because you might be going, well, I think she could. I, I, would, I would differ. She could ignore it. But forgive it requires repentance on the other side. Let's, let's take this transgression. I, I'm unfaithful to my spouse. And my wife says to me, hey, you're unfaithful. You, you, you're with another woman. And I go, well, you know, um, yeah, I was. And I'm going to do it again. <laughs> can, can, can the wife truly be forgiving? Look, you know, it, it, can, you, can you truly be forgiving if the individual isn't repentant? Isn't sorrowful for their transgression against you? Based off the gospel and the way that the Lord lays it out, forgiveness comes with repentance. Now, I'll also argue this when it comes to forgiveness. And I know I'm still dealing with anger a little bit because there's a a lot of us who are angry. Not only should the person being angry offer forgiveness unlimited amount of times, but think of the gospel. If, there, if this was a story, if the salvation or the gospel story were two characters, Jesus and humanity, who was done wrong, right? Who was sinned against? Who was the innocent one? It was Christ. The guilty party were, was humanity. But who pursued who? And see, this is where I get, this is where I'm, I, have, I have issues. Right? This is where I often have to repent. Because I will rec- I can recognize quickly when someone's done me wrong, right? I can recognize that I have a justifiable reason to be angry. Here's where I struggle, and I think this is oftentimes if you know if those who are okay with their anger, this is can be where it becomes a problem. Christ pursued those who sinned against him in order to offer them forgiveness. So if you want to take a gospel approach, one, it's biblical to be angry. Two, um, 
forgiveness comes with repentance. And three, you are, are required to offer forgiveness, but that means you also have to go to the one who has sinned against you. You pursue them. You don't wait for them to grovel at your feet. Now, that was me, right? That was me. I was the guy who, who waited and, and just loved someone groveling at my feet. Please forgive me. Please forgive me, Jeremy. I waited for it. I loved it. I, I just bathed in the power over them, right? Well, that's unbiblical. That's wrong. And, and this, is, this is a... This is when it comes to motives. Now, I want to I want to kind of keep that in the back of your mind. This idea of motives. So, um, let's let's go to the next emotion that that's often, and we're going to come back to motives, um, because because motives define, I think, often if we are exercising emotion correctly and biblically. So let's let's take uh, anxiety. That's another one we get a lot. Oh, I feel anxious, and Jesus says, right, not to worry, not to be anxious about anything. <sighs> okay, so what is, what is what is being anxious? Now there are there is there is a clinical anxiety, right? And and that's that's nothing to be ashamed about. That can be a a chemical issue in the brain, just like for example, uh, di- you know someone who has diabetes. There's a there's a chemical issue. They need they need insulin or whatever, right? There's they have to get a supplement somehow to maintain that balance. Same thing goes with a lot of anxiety medication. Now I. I have a whole, that's a whole nother conversation, but there's no shame in that if, if someone actually needs it. But when it comes to being anxious, I talk to so many Christians who feel guilty about being anxious, nervous. Now, I want to point to you, to Jesus, the night before he's about to be crucified. And what do we see? We see Jesus nervous about what is to come, right? May this cup, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, Jesus says to the Father. Right? I don't want to do this. I know what's about to come to the point he is sweating blood, a sign of extreme anxiety. There's good reason to be anxious. Now, when Jesus says, listen, don't, listen, don't be anxious, it's because people sometimes were anxious about things we ought not to be anxious about. We're anxious. My, my son does this all the time. Dad, what if? Dad, what if the car explodes? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Why would you think the car is going to explode? You don't have any evidence the car is going to explode. But what if it does? Well, buddy, I would probably hear something and we would get out of it. But what if you don't? I don't know. I guess we die. <laughs> like, I don't have a good answer for you, Maddox. It's... I think there is, when we start getting anxious about things beyond our control. Now, for Jesus, this was all under his control, wasn't it? This was all under his control. But sometimes we get anxious about things that we have no control over at all. And Jesus says, listen, what do you, listen I, I clothe the flowers. I feed the animals. What do you think I'm going to do for my people? So... Again, a nervousness. Guess what? I, I would argue this. Something that... I, I think a debilitating anxiety is an issue. Right? But an anxious about certain things. About things you know you have to do. And things that you have to confront. 
things that you have to deal with emotionally and physically. The, but but you know, hey, I, I am nervous because I know this is not going to be pleasurable, but I understand that God's in control, but I'm nervous about the outcome. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, it's being nervous, but being aware of who is still in control, even, um, even within our anxiety, just as Christ was. So, by the way, I, let me also say this. When you go, go read Psalm 13. Right, you, what you find, by the way, this is why I love the Psalms. There's so many emotions in the Psalms, right? But you hear David, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long should the enemy be exalted over me? God is worried about his life. And by the way, he brings up another often misunderstood emotion. That is sorrow. I'm sad. Listen, there's a whole book called Lamentations. Lamenting is part of the Christian life. Jeremiah, the dude had four converts as a prophet, as a pastor. Imagine, right? Church of four. He had four. His heart was broken. Jesus wept after the triumphal entry. When you go read, when you when you read parts of David, right? He's he is heartbroken. Uh, uh, Nehemiah is ripping out people's hair because he's so angry. His heart is broken because people won't stop sinning, and they won't be faithful to their God, who has saved them, who's rescued them, who's redeemed them, who's prepared for them a holy dwelling. Ugh. Listen, if the lack of faithfulness, if the lack of faithfulness amongst the church doesn't grieve you, then that's a problem. I, let, me, let me actually argue this. If the, if the lack of faithfulness in the church doesn't grieve you, then someone's probably grieving over your lack of faithfulness. If you don't recognize it, I'm just telling you, that's a problem. You should grieve. Your heart, in fact, Paul says, right, that, uh, is it First Thessalonians, that, uh, that we don't grieve like others do without hope. He doesn't say we don't grieve. And by the way, same way that Jesus says, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough issues. Right? Jesus didn't say don't be worried. Of course you should be worried. You should be worried about people who don't know the gospel. It's just, it's just interesting to me that we are given the gift of certain emotions, but we want to withhold them and deny them because, well, no, we say, what we, we say, we want to be more like Jesus, but only the lovey, cuddly Jesus, not the Jesus who's angry in the temple, not the Jesus who's calling out hypocrisy, not the Jesus who is even sarcastic, not, not that God, only the lovey-dovey God. I, listen, I, I argue this. If we want to be like Christ, if we really say, listen, I want to be more like my Lord, that that encompasses all of it. All of it. Not just the side that our culture deems more acceptable. So, anyways, let's go to a little bit of the motives of some of these things. Because we could, we could go on and on with this. But, 
when it comes to let's say let's take anger, um, let's take even even sadness. Um, I, I when I'm in counseling with someone, what I try to do is like an incentive chart, right? And it tries to explain and even examine why we do what we do. Why do we have certain emotions? Um, and I would dictate this is how you determine if certain emotions are okay. Um, all right, so this is uh, let's let's take let's take anger. Right, anger is a really good one, and and I'm going to use myself as an example. Remember me, young me, wanting people to gravel at his feet and beg and watch them plead and watch them, you know, wiggle in pain as I as I wield my forgiveness over them. Okay, now the the greatest or the the most the lowest tier of why we do what we do and why we have certain emotions, right, is fear. So, for example, um, I. Oh gosh! Uh, let's take this one. I come to church because I'm afraid God is going to like strike me with lightning. So fear, right, can drive actions. Um, now fear itself is, you know, it's it's an emotion, and it's one that, by the way, we're we are called to have and and have towards the Lord. Um, but fear can drive actions, right? Um, let's. The, but this is something that that like uh, that. You know, dogs can do right. They 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 respond out of an overwhelming feeling of fear. Same thing with the next one, right? That is is reward. Re- you have fear and you have reward. Both of these things are the most basic part of all if, if, of mammals, right? We uh, we re- we act out of fear and we act for reward. Think of even ch- children. Are actually, a really good example. Of both of these. Maddox, Claire, don't you dare say that again. And if you do, I will throw you out, right? I don't know. I don't know. Whatever horrible thing that scares children, right? So what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to control their actions with fear. By the way, this doesn't work well with parenting, just on a side note. Um, it works for only for so long until they see that, oh, this is nothing to be scared of. Don't you smoke, because if you smoke, you'll die of cancer. Okay, well, you know, when I, I don't know, I was told this at one point, even saw my mother die of cancer. At 12 years old, I picked up cigarettes, and guess what? I didn't die of cancer. Maybe, maybe I'm, I mean, you know, I smoked, I was smoking, uh, geez Louise, I ended up smoking a pack a day and, you know, was, was always fine. And so they're like, oh, this thing I was told to be scared of isn't all that scary, right? And this, and this kind of breeds rebellion. I, I would argue ca- trying to manipulate behavior through fear is not a good thing. All right. Reward is probably the next one we use the most. You do good, little Johnny, and you get some candy. Now, here's, here is, um, how I would use my, uh, or I, I'll, here's another one. I'll come to church so God blesses me. We see that a lot. Now, there are times where anger, I'll be, you can be angry and that can be re, uh, motivated by some sort of reward incentive. What I mean is, um, I get something out of being angry. I enjoy being angry. It is, uh, it it brings me pleasure or a benefit into uh, so in in my personal case right if it was I liked having something over people right there there was a point in time where I wanted to be angry because I enjoyed certain people in my life I enjoyed them wanting forgiveness. 
right? I, I it was something I got. I had I got I received the power over them. Now, do you, do you see what I mean by a reward incentive? I it, I was rewarded by not or by being angry and by not forgiving. It gave me a sense of power. Now, uh, take take uh, forgiveness is an interesting one too. I, we'll, we'll take the opposite side of anger. Uh, I'll forgive out of fear because if I don't, they'll leave me. I'll forgive out of reward because I want I just want everything to be okay. Right? I just, I just don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to whatever it is. I just want to move on. How, how about this one? I want to forgive. Out of duty, duty is that third incentive, and that's the problem. Duty is, we can also, uh, other than being a fun thing to say if you're an eight-year-old, um, or think like an eight-year-old, uh, duty is one of those things that, it can be clothed in righteousness. I come to church because I'm supposed to. I come to church, or, or I forgive because that's what I'm told to do. Duty is, or... Uh, Man, duty is one of those things that it's hard to break. It's really hard to break. Um, I remember, so again, imagine this. I'm with my wife and I bring her flowers. She goes, why did you bring me flowers? And I and I use the you know that first incentive of fear. And I go, listen, I brought you flowers because if I if I if I didn't bring you flowers, you'd be really angry with me. You'd be upset with me. Right? I'm I'm fearful of anger so i'm going to i'm going to act out let's say another scenario i brought you flowers oh sweetheart you bought me flowers why would you do that <laughs> well because i was hoping to get lucky wife right i i brought you flowers i'm trying to get all sweetie sweetie with you right that i probably would end up on the couch if my wife really believed that's why i got her flowers but you know what's no better this third incentive why would you Why'd you bring me flowers? Well, I brought you flowers because it's what I'm supposed to do. It's my duty. You understand? Right? That's that's no better. That's no better. What why does my wife want flowers? She wants flowers because she wants to know that I love her. The other three things, this fear, reward, and duty, they're all selfish. It really ends up, do I fulfill my obligation? Do I get something or do I avoid something? They're all selfish. Love is the selfless motivation. Now, love is also an emotion, which makes this a little difficult. But real love is a selfless love. A love that requires that loving out of fear, loving out of reward or duty, isn't really love, right? And so the Lord tells us in Deuteronomy 6 to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and body and strength. At least that's how Jesus quotes it. Heart, mind, soul, I think is what it says in verse 4. So, if I am called to love the Lord with all of me, says, God, listen, you will love the Lord your God with every aspect of you. That everything I do ought to be motivated by a love of God. In fact, the way I love other people is motivated by my love of God. Love being the supreme motive for what we do. So, for example, if I am angry out of love, then that's a good thing. So what does anger mean out of love? Anger means I'm angry at a love of the Lord, so I see an injustice that God is frustrated with, and I'm angry, and I want a godly, 
healthy, loving chastisement. Me, like so, taking into consideration, I mean, if you're a parent, it's easier to do. At least for me, it's the easier example to give. If I'm angry at my child, I don't want to guilt and shame my child and and beat them up with words and and. What I, if I'm angry, my it's because maybe they've lied to me, they disobeyed me, but my goal isn't to let them suffer, it's chastisement, it's to bring them back. My anger is simply an emotion that is fueling a, hopefully a goal of bringing them back to the fold, right? If my anger is simply to provoke my child or to be mean to my kid or to belittle my kid, that is not healthy. But if my anger is fueled by righteousness, then the product will be chastisement, which will bring them back. So now my anger is a godly anger and it's, and it's fueled by love. God's, think of this, Christ is angry with sin and his motive to deal with it was love. And in fact, Paul tells us in Romans 9 that even his anger out on those who deny him is meant to show us the beauty of his grace. It's to wow you and to show you what you don't deserve versus what you did deserve but were rescued from. That's anger and wrath motivated by love. Right? Anxious. I, I should be anxious for my children, for people I love, especially those who don't know the gospel. If I didn't worry about people I love, that's concerning. Of course I should. I should be concerned for their souls. I would be a horrible pastor if I wasn't, if there wasn't an anxiousness and a concerning and even sometimes a nervousness for people that I care about. But what do I do with it? I turn to the Lord. Because I love them, the best thing I can do with that nervousness is turn to the my God who's in control of all things. But my nervousness isn't out of fear. It isn't driven by reward or duty. If I you know, a godly anxiousness is one that's driven by a love for them and a care for them. I remember when Maddox was having kidney issues. And I didn't know what was going on. He was peeing blood. And it was bad. I don't typically... Listen, I, I when it comes to the body, I kind of get nervous. But I remember when... Uh, this wasn't that long ago. This was maybe six months ago. May, maybe a year, actually, by this point. I, I, I've lost track of time. COVID has destroyed my internal calendar. But I remember when he peed... Um, he was peeing like... It was like, looked like tea. Like, like, like a pitcher of tea. And I saw my wife's face... Man, I knew when I saw her panic, a woman who medically trained, an incredible nurse, just very intelligent when it comes to this stuff. When I saw her panic, I panicked. Right? And what did, what did it do? It, well, it drove me to my knees. Not that this always happens perfectly, mind you. To, I, I don't know how about you, but sometimes I have to I have to like really catch myself because when I when I feel like I'm not in control, I tend to turn to anger, kind of because it's been that had been my coping mechanism for so long. Now, I remember when I saw that though, right? I panicked. He was, you know, she says, "Listen," she pulled me aside and said, "This 
this looks like this looks like somebody has heart failure. Like this is something is not right. And they went off to the they went to, to the emergency room. But my my anxiousness. Now was there fear? It wasn't I'm not listen, I'm not trying to pass this off as it was a pure, you know, motive for my anxiety. But my anxiousness, it wasn't out of uh, I mean, was there fear there? Absolutely. Duty, duty, anxiety don't really go together very well, do they? I, I'm, I feel like I have to be nervous for you, right? Um, I think sometimes people in some sort of spiritual care can have that. Uh, I have a duty to pretend to be anxious for you. But I love my son. I love my son, and I don't want. In the end, I knew I have no control over his body. None, zero, zip. I can't make his. I can't make his heart beat. I can't make his kidneys function properly. I have my kid for a season. For a season. He's not even mine. He's God's kid. He's given mine for a season. So for that season, sure, I'll, I, I will. Out of love for him, I will be nervous for him. But knowing that I take my nervousness to the Lord who's in control of all. So, and again, I think these are all biblical concepts. But I think having that mindset changes how we approach certain emotions. I know I've said a lot, and Baker, when he gets back, and, or whoever's editing this, and probably supposed to be me, right? They're going to, someone's going to be like, dude, you went way too long. You can talk by yourself for a really long time. But listen, I hope this makes sense. And uh, listen, if I, I would love, if anyone is out there struggling with emotions, I would love, 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 love to talk to you. Because I think oftentimes, not to say there aren't, listen, there, there are, we are sinners who oftentimes pervert emotions. But there are some times where you ought to be angry, you ought to be anxious, but, but the way, what motivating it maybe needs to, be tweaked, right? That may need to change. The motive of your heart is what ought to be looked at first to determine are these emotions good or bad? Happiness, and I don't think I'm saying anything you don't know, happiness isn't always a good emotion. If you're happy for evil, if you love evil, if you're joyful for evil, right? these things aren't good. They're not inherently good. What determines good emotions, what determines bad emotions or the motives driving them. Well, guys, I hope that was somewhat helpful. And again, I would love to hear from you. If you have any more questions, you can send it over the app. Uh, this is just my two cents. But hey, maybe I'm crazy. Thank you for listening, and peace be with you. Uh-huh.